You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Built Jesus Tough, Part 10. Enjoy. Well, on Father's Day, we're going to continue in our series, but we're really talking about, I think, the best thing you can talk about on Father's Day, and that's our Heavenly Father's love for us. And God's love for us is not some untangible, mysterious thing. It's very real. It's so real that he gave everything he could give because he loves you. He gave his son. And that's what we're going to look at today. And what is the result of this amazing love the Father's given to us? The result is a brand new life, a life greater than you've ever imagined or dreamed of. So our series is called Built Jesus Tough. A life built on the promises of God is a life built Jesus tough. And there are only two steps to becoming Jesus tough. Anybody can do it. It's available to anybody. And the first step is making a decision in your own heart to make God the Father your all in all. And only you can make that decision. Your your spouse can't make it for you, your children, your, your parents. You have to choose to be all about knowing him. So we exhort you to make a decision, if you haven't already, that your relationship with God the Father from now on will be the motivating passion of your life. Let knowing him determine where you live, where you work, who you're in relationship with, how you spend your time and your resources. Just give God the reins to your life. Give God the steering wheel. And that's step number one. Then step number two is then you begin to build your life on God's promises. And God's promises are are out of this world in a sense. In other words, they didn't come from religious theology. They didn't come from a pastor or or a, a bishop or a religious leader. They came from God's heart. And Jesus is the promise of God in the flesh. And when we study the promises of God, a lot of people read the Bible, but not a lot of people know the promises of God. So reading the Bible alone really doesn't transform you. It's faith in the promises of God in the Bible that transform you. It's faith in his promises that transforms us. There are many people that read this book and they're bound up and confused and depressed and discouraged. So it's not reading it itself. It's faith in the promises in this book. Okay? Very important. So we become students of his promises. Right? It's through his promises that we participate in the life he's come to give us. Hallelujah. So his promises revealed to us, and we've been having a great time in this series, they've revealed to us the heart of God. They've revealed to us that it's God's will for us to be whole. Spirit, soul, and body. You may think that's not possible. You may think that's that's, uh, beyond, uh, beyond what you've ever dreamed of, and it might be, but it's for you today. All things are possible with God. What you've been through is not beyond what God can do. Your current condition, whatever it may be, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, is not hard for God. With man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. All right? If you'll just let him be God in your life, he'll reveal himself to you. It's his desire to reveal himself to you. So we've seen that in the ministry of Christ, 
that Jesus made people whole. He's the will of God in action. He's the heart of God in action. So we've gone through promises regarding your spirit, promises regarding your soul, and now we're in promises regarding your body. And we saw last week that something happens when you begin to exalt the ministry of Jesus. And we find the ministry of Jesus in the first five books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Just love them. Still to this day, can't get enough of them. But we see the ministry of Jesus clear as a bell in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And in that ministry, you won't find one place where Jesus made anybody sick. In fact, you'll find just the opposite. You'll find that he made people well. But you'll find also that he required faith. The two blind men who came to him, he said, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to receive our sight. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? This is Matthew chapter 9. And in ver- they said, yes, Lord. And he said something very revealing. He said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Wow. The message says, become what you believe. So our faith has a whole lot to do with how much of his will we experience. All right, so we've seen the will of God is not automatic. It requires faith. You can't have faith in God if you don't know the will of God. Has anyone in here received forgiveness for your sins? Anybody at all? How did we receive forgiveness for our sins? I mean, isn't that audacious that we could come to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins? On what grounds do we come to him? Somewhere along the line, we heard the word concerning forgiveness. Somewhere we heard that because of Jesus, God will forgive us of all of our sins if we simply put our faith in Christ. And we believe that. See, faith begins where the will of God is known. When I know that it's God's will to forgive me, I have confidence to come to him and receive forgiveness. When I know it's God's will to heal me, I have confidence to come to him and receive healing. Same thing. Forgiveness and healing, it's a part of the same covenant. So let's get back into it. Let's go a little deeper. Let's look again at Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. And we're exalting the ministry of Jesus above every religious doctrine, above every life experience, above our own wisdom, above man's opinions. We're going to lift up Jesus and we're going to take him at his word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, this is Jesus talking. And he says, What man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Of course not, right? We can all relate to this. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. Isn't this simple? Every one of us can understand this. No father in his right mind would ever do this to a child, right? Happy Father's Day. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So is God better than us or less than us? 
<laughs> of course. He's God, right? He's perfect love. He's never done anything wrong. He's never made a mistake. He's never acted outside of love. Isn't that amazing? He's never had to learn anything. He has no opinions or suggestions. He's perfect love and life and truth, right? He's much better than the best father on earth, right? So would you make your child sick to teach them something? Why is that taught in churches? That's criminal behavior, isn't it? Yet I've heard pastors uh, credit God for doing things like that. See, when you lift up the ministry of Jesus, you begin to develop a very sure understanding, a very keen awareness of the difference between God and Satan. And that simplicity that Christ gives to us is vital. And Satan tries to rob us of that simplicity, that God is good and the devil is bad. It's one plus one equals two. And, and one of the primary vehicles that Satan uses to confuse us and to pull us away from the simplicity that is in Christ, Matthew 7, 9 through 11 is one of many examples. And the primary vehicle that Satan uses to pull us away from that simplicity is usually religion. Religious tradition and religious theology. You've heard of politically correct thinking, right? Have you heard of religiously correct thinking? It's more damaging, right? Where people believe things simply because that's what they were told in the church they went to growing up. Or that's what they're being told in the church they go to now. Yet it's contrary to the simplicity we just read here in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. So we attacked a biggie last week. We, 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 we attacked this very thought that God uses sickness to teach us and to humble us. And we looked at one of the, the, the um, arguments that people will use. will say, well, God humbled Paul. He humbled Paul with sickness. We looked at Paul's thorn, and we found that Paul's thorn was not a sickness at all, that God didn't make Paul sick. That's an error. That's a false argument. That Paul's thorn was actually a messenger of Satan sent to incite people to persecute Paul, to keep Paul from fulfilling his destiny. Did Paul fulfill his destiny? He sure did. He sure did. He wrote two-thirds, about two-thirds of the New Testament. He finished his race with strength and glory, right? God's grace was sufficient for him, and he got him through every trial, every persecution with glory and victory, and he went on. And we're so glad he did because we're able to read the revelation that God gave Paul today, right? So it wasn't a sickness or disease. And here's another one that you'll hear a lot of. People will say, well, if sickness isn't God's will, then why is there so much of it in the earth? What if we applied that same logic to sin? If sin isn't the will of God, why is there so much of it in the earth? So do we now determine what God's will is based on the activity on planet earth? Woo! This world's a mess. If God's in control of this world, he's a mess. He's a confused God. If God were controlling this world right now, there wouldn't be one crime committed. 
There wouldn't be any poverty. There wouldn't be any sickness, any disease. Jesus didn't teach that God is controlling the earth. Right? It's good to read the Scriptures. It's good to read Jesus. Right? So with this thinking is very prevalent. Why is this going on in the earth? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much sickness? Well, the answer to that is simple. It's found in the Bible. If you go back to the very beginning, God created a paradise for man. There was not only no sickness, no disease, there was no, no storms. There was an abundance of precious jewels and everything man could ever want. But something happened. God gave man authority over the earth, dominion over the earth. But man, at some point in time, decided to put his faith in the words of Satan rather than the word of God. And in so doing, Satan stole the sovereignty, it says in Romans chapter 5, that God gave to man. And at that point in time, Satan became the God of this world. That's why Jesus called him the ruler or prince of this earth, and Paul called him the God of this world. So there's the junk that's going on in this world is because Satan became the God of this world. And the curse of sin came upon this world. But thank God we have a refuge we have a high tower, we have a fortress, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the secret place of Psalm 91. So we're going to get into that secret place today, all right? Let's go into one of the most popular verses that you'll ever hear. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, God reveals his will for the world, his will for the world, all right? We like to let God tell us what his will is. We don't want to surmise with our own wisdom. Let's let him tell us what his will is. All right? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Happy Father's Day that whoever believes in him, uh-oh, so it's not automatic, right? That whoever believes in him. Listen, if God's will was automatic, there'd be no need for faith. Why would we need to live by faith if God's will was automatic? This, now, did God love everybody? Every human being? Does God know them all by name? Does God know the hairs on every human being's head? Yeah. How many? Absolutely. Does he know how many cells are in our body? Yeah. Does he know what cells are being reproduced at every moment of every second of every day? Yeah. He knows everything about everything. He's limitless in his knowledge. And he loves everybody. He loves the whole world. So we see it's his will for the world to receive Christ, to believe in his son, right? But we've got to choose that. It's not automatic. I'm so glad God didn't make robots. I'm so glad that I'm not married to a robot. What kind of marriage would that be, being married to a robot, right? Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of shallow, isn't it, right? God made us in his image. We're not robots. We have a free will. We can say and do and believe whatever we want. Even if it's not true, it doesn't matter. We're free. It's his desire that we choose Christ, that we believe in him. And what happens when you believe in him? 
you shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. I want you to focus on those two words right there, eternal life. Okay? Why are these two words important? Are your religious glasses on? Check. Make sure they're off. Eternal life. Why are these two words important? Because man's religious theology has changed the definition of these two words. So you probably read that and think he's talking about going to heaven. Man's religious theology has made Christianity all about getting into heaven. But when you begin to get to know Jesus and, and read his words, you find out Christianity's are not about getting into heaven. It's about heaven getting into you. It's not about going to heaven someday. It's about knowing the God of heaven today. It's about experiencing God now. The word eternal life. Wouldn't it be great if we just let Jesus define life for us? Jesus defines eternal life for us. So we don't have to speculate as to what it is. He tells us in John 17, 3. Put it up there. Don't, I, those glasses, sometimes they want to jump back on, but don't put them back on. All right? Keep them off. This is Jesus talking. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's defining. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you. K-N-O-W. Same word used talking about Joseph when it said Joseph knew not Mary until after Jesus was born. This is a word talking about the intimacy between a husband and a wife. This is eternal life that they may know you intimately, that they may become one with you, that they may walk through each day of their lives hearing your voice and experiencing your presence. That's eternal life. Now, are your seatbelts on? All right. We're going we're gonna to accelerate a little bit. We're going deeper. In John chapter 3, we're going to stay in John 3, Jesus reveals to us how to experience the healing that God has provided. Jesus reveals to us what eternal life is and what it means to be saved. All right, but you got, you got to be ready for this. Don't read it. With, through the eyes of religious tradition. He teaches us how to experience the supernatural life, the abundant life he's come to give us. Let's start in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Are you all right? We awake? You got to shake off the cobwebs here, shake off the dust. We're going right for Jesus. We're not stopping. We're not happy with anything else other than Jesus. We want the real Jesus, 100% Jesus. I won't settle for 93% Jesus. I want him as he is. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, a religious expert in the law, a teacher of Israel. He comes to Jesus at night. I wonder why he came at night. We can kind of, well, maybe he was afraid of what his peers might think of him. If they detected that he had a sincere interest in Christ. 
Now, looking at the scriptures, I don't think Nicodemus was trying to pull a fast one here. Sometimes religious leaders came to him, came to Jesus, and tried to trick him. But one of the reasons I, I, don't, I, I think Nicodemus had a sincere interest in Jesus is you'll see later, I think in John chapter 7, Nicodemus cautiously defends Jesus before the Sanhedrin. He stands up for him. And then later, at the end of John, you'll see Nicodemus again coming with Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb of Jesus. It seems like he became a follower of Jesus. It seems like he had this sincere interest to know what Jesus was all about. All right? So he comes to him at night, and he says, Rabbi, I don't think he's being sarcastic here. Rabbi is a term of respect, teacher, master. We know you are a teacher who's come from God. How does he know that? Was it Jesus' driver's license that he looked at? Did he have a certificate or a seminary degree? No. Why did he say this? What is the basis for Nicodemus' conclusion? We know you've come, to God, come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing. The basis for Nicodemus wanting to know Jesus were the supernatural acts Jesus was performing. He saw a life in him that he didn't see anywhere else. He saw blind being healed, sick being made whole, dead being raised, and he wanted to know who he was and what he was all about. He said, we know you've come from God. We've come to this conclusion based on what you've done based on the supernatural life we see pouring out of you into those who are being made whole. That is the basis for this whole conversation in John chapter 3. It's important to keep things in context. It's not about heaven. He's coming to Jesus on earth, talking about what's going on in earth, and he wants to know about it. All right? In reply, Jesus declared... Don't put those religious glasses back on. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Religion will tell you he's talking about going to heaven there. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the miraculous signs that he's performed. The healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the setting people free. And Jesus says no one can see. What does that word see mean? It means literally no one can discern. No one can experience. No one can know. No one can uh, see clearly. No one can understand the kingdom of God unless he's born again. He's not talking about going to heaven someday. He's talking about experiencing God now. He's I am, right? He says you can't experience the things you've seen unless you're born again. You can't experience the kingdom of God on a consistent basis, consistently, unless you're born again. Now, that's a term I used to laugh at. I didn't even know what it meant. But Jesus goes on in chapter 3 to teach us what being born again means, teach Nicodemus. He's talking about our spirits our spirits before Christ were dead in sin. And he's saying, if you put your faith in me, God's spirit will make your dead spirit brand new. Will bring to life your spirit. 
That's what being born again or born anew or born from above is all about. And then he goes on to tell us how to be born again and how to experience the kingdom of God. We don't have time to read all the verses. Let's go right to verse 14. Are you ready? Is it okay if who God is contradicts our thinking? That's okay, isn't it? Right? What if we've been thinking that way for 30 years? Is it all right? Yeah. Right? We want to be changed by him. Here's Jesus. Remember, he's still having a conversation with Nicodemus. He's not standing up in a football stadium. It's nighttime. Right? Nicodemus came to him to understand what is the reason for this supernatural life we see. You've got to be from God. Jesus is explaining it to him. Look at verse 14. Just as Moses. What does Moses have to do with the supernatural signs Jesus is performing? A lot. Just as Moses. That's a comparison, right? You could say, just like Moses, or in the same way, Moses. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. A lot of people know verse 16, but they don't know 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What in the world is he talking about? Nicodemus came to him about miraculous power, and he's referring to Moses now. Let's see. So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone, here it is again, everyone who what? Believes. It's not automatic. You've got to believe it. How are you going to believe if you don't know it's His will? That everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life, may come into this intimate oneness and union with Him. Verse 16, it flows right along line with these last two verses. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. See that word S-A-V-E? Another Uh, definition that's been changed by religion. The word S-A-V-E, you'll see it throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels and Acts. There are two words used. There's sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek, and soteria for salvation. And do you know what those words mean? Made whole. Healed. Set at one again. Made safe. For God so loved the world, he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to, but to make whole the world, to save the world, to make safe and sound those who believe in him. Look at the Amplified of verse 17. For God did not send the son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on. I think some church folks think that's their job. It's not. God, only God has the wisdom to do that. We don't. So don't think that's your job, all right? Our job's not to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on people. But that the world might find salvation. Look what the Amplified says. And be made safe and sound through him. Jesus came so that you could be safe and sound. Does that sound like a fairy tale? Safe and sound through him. Now let's get back to verse 14. The whole context of verse 16 is verse 14, which goes all the way back to verse 1. What is it about Moses that Jesus is talking about? Let's go back to Numbers 21, verse 8. Let's look at it. Numbers 21, verse 8. Jesus Jesus said, just as Moses. 
lifted up the serpent. Well, what was happening at that point in time? If you'll study the history of God's people in the Old Testament, you'll find that they rejected God regularly. He would do amazing, miraculous things in their lives, and a little bit after that, they'd turn and follow some other God. Seeing is not believing. They saw God do miraculous. They saw him part the Red Sea. They saw him bring water out of a rock in the desert. They saw God do all of these things. Seeing is not believing. Faith is greater than your five senses. It's of the heart, right? So they continued to reject God, and they opened the door for Satan to strike many times in their lives, and Numbers is one of them. Poisonous snakes, not, fig, not, uh, not imaginative, uh, off in the, in the sky somewhere, but real physical poisonous snakes came into the physical camp of Israel in Numbers 21 and physically bit their physical bodies, and the physical poison in the physical snake went into their physical bodies, and they were physically getting sick and physically dying. I'm emphasizing the word physical because religion tells you God's not concerned about the physical. But he is, very much so. He made your body and he wants it to be whole. So these physical snakes, these poisonous, venomous snakes were biting God's people. The poison entered their system. They were getting sick and they were dying and Moses prayed to the Lord about it. And this is what God instructed Moses to do. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent of bronze and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. You telling me someone with the venom of a deadly snake flowing through their system can look at a bronze pole and live? What? Just as Moses lifted up the pole, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The same way. Verse 9, And Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked to the serpent of bronze, here's the kicker. Now we're getting into the how to receive healing. Okay? How to receive healing. Anyone who looked at it attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, lived. Jesus said, I am that serpent on the pole. According to Jesus, him being lifted up is all about you being whole. Today, today, just as Moses, this attentive, expectant, steady and absorbing gaze on Jesus will transform you. But be aware, many things are competing for your gaze. All the latest headlines. You know, I noticed back when I was a teenager, I said, boy, that news really doesn't change very much. There's nothing new under the sun. And people get so stressed out about the latest headlines. You know, America's not even close to what Paul went through. People talk about how bad it's getting in America. Man, they had, I don't want to say for the kids' sake, the stuff that's going on in some of the countries that Paul ministered, but they, they, it wasn't even close. The societies they lived in weren't even close to what we're facing today. 
right? God will give you a different perspective on society when you attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, fix your attention on the risen Christ. Now let's look at someone who had this gaze in the Scriptures, all right? Let's go to Mark chapter 5. We're going to see a woman who was rejected by society who had a steady, attentive, absorbing gaze on Jesus. And we're going to see what happened in her life as a result of looking to Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. That's 4,380 days. Can you, that's a long time, isn't it? Can you imagine day after day waking up with this condition? An issue of blood. You're getting weaker. You have pain in your body. You're suffering for over 4,000 days. She'd suffered many things of many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Verse 27. When she had heard of Jesus, somewhere she heard about this Jesus that Nicodemus was talking to him in John chapter 3, that he heals people. And she heard about that after 12 years of suffering. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. Now we read this in a few seconds, but we have to understand the woman's condition, suffering for 12 years, spent everything she had on physicians, and nothing changed in her body. Now, in the culture she was living in, she wasn't allowed to be out in public alone as a woman. And in her condition, unthinkable. But somehow she heard about the healer. And she, it, she put her faith in what she heard. And here's a woman not allowed to leave her home, forced to be isolated in her suffering. And, but based on simply what she heard of Jesus, she decides to leave her prison go out into the public in the midst of a multitude of people and press through them. I don't know how strong she was. I have a feeling she probably wasn't very strong after 12 years of bleeding. She may have had to crawl and get to get through the crowd. She might have gotten kicked and bumped and knocked down. But she had this steady, absorbing, expectant gaze on Jesus Christ. Have you cultivated that gaze? Or does your mind go from Jesus to man's opinions, from Jesus to CNN, from Jesus to the new fad of the day, from Jesus to what so-and-so says? And that doesn't work. You've got to train your mind and your heart to be fixed on him no matter what's going on in the world around you. Don't let what happens in the world startle you. This world's falling apart. But Jesus is the same. So we're cultivating this steady, absorbing, expecting, fixed gaze on Jesus. This woman does it. Despite all odds, she gets up and she goes and presses through the crowd of people and touches his garment. She didn't want to sell it on eBay. She wanted to be healed. Why did she touch his garment? Why did she go through everything she went through? For she said... Who did she say it to? Herself. In fact, Matthew, the same account records, says in verse 20 of chapter 9, for she said within herself. 
She kept saying within herself. Now we're getting into the how to receive healing, right? You have a steady gaze on Christ, and you begin to say what he says about you to yourself. She began to say to herself, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be sozo. Same word in John 3. The world will be saved sozo. Same word. You want to do a fun word study? One fun word study? Get the word sozo. Get your concordance out and go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts and look at every place where the word quote unquote saved appears. It means healed. When I say I'm saved, I'm saying I'm healed. I know that radically flips religious boats, but it's true anyway. And when you begin to realize that and speak it to your body, your body will change. She began to say to herself, if I may but touch his clothes, I will be whole. And straightway, verse 29, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Don't have time to read the rest of it, but Jesus, he's in the midst of thousands of people, a multitude, and he says to his disciples, who touched me? And they don't know what he said. Who touched you? All these people are standing around you, bumping into you and touching you. What do you mean? Because there's one who touched me who had a steady, absorbing gaze. There's one who touched me who believed that I was the healer. So I don't know how many people were there, but I know when the Bible says multitude, usually it's thousands, out of all those people, one received healing. Was it because it was God's will for her only to receive healing? No. She didn't ask him. She didn't ask God, Oh, Father, what, what be thy, thy, um, thy will for my body? No. She heard about it. She heard God's will. You can come boldly to him when, he know, when you know his will. She pressed through a crowd, and she grabbed a hold of him. He didn't even know who touched him. Of course it's his will. And look what he says to her in verse 34. He said to her, Daughter, my sovereign plan for your life has been, no, your faith. You go through the gospel to see how many times he responds to people in that way. According to your faith, be it done. Your faith made you whole. Guess what the word is there? Sozo. That the world might be saved. Sozo through him. Same word. Your faith made you whole. Jesus came that the world would be made whole through him. Everyone, everyone who believes. This is called the gospel. And it's been hid under mounds and mounds of religious doctrine. But it's here now, being preached in your presence. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now look at this. Go in peace. What's that word in the Greek? Another religified word. Irene. What it means, same thing as sozo, basically, to be made whole. Wholeness, well-being, prosperity, to be set at one again. He says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. The Amplified, verse 34, says it this way. And he said to her, daughter, 
your faith, your trust and confidence in me springing from faith in God has restored you to health. Saved. Same word. Has restored you. God sent Jesus to restore people to health. That's the gospel. Sorry if it offends you, but that's the gospel. Okay? He sent to restore to health. Look at this. Go into this wholeness. Don't just stop with this healing. Continue in it. Continue in it and be continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily disease. That's God's will for you. Not only to receive healing, but to go into this new kind of life and continue in it, being continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily disease. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Hallelujah. We're in the how-to to to be healed now. All right, we're going to go a few more scriptures here. I don't think I have time to share my testimony, but we'll, we'll get it in there, if not now, next week. So this steady, absorbing gaze that Jesus taught about in John chapter 3. In other words, it's as if the world around you did not exist. It's as if Jesus is the only one speaking. This is radical. I understand that. This is going all out. In other words, Jesus, I'm fixing every ounce of energy, every, every, uh, every ounce of cognitive ability on you. Are you ready for this? Isaiah 26.3. This is what the woman did in Mark chapter 5. This is what the people in Numbers did with the bronze serpent. This is what God wants us to do with Jesus. Are you ready? Isaiah 26.3. I didn't write this. Didn't write it. You will keep him in perfect peace. Don't religify that word peace. In the Hebrew it says you will keep him in shalom, shalom. Study the word shalom. It means the same thing as irene, as sozo. Well-being, wholeness, health, prosperity. You will keep him in perfect health. Whose mind is stayed on you. So Jesus isn't a side dish in our lives. He's not dessert or an appetizer. He's everything. And we train our minds to be stayed on him because he trusts in you. Let's read that in the Amplified. This is just the Bible. Might as well read it and believe it, right? What else? What better do we have to do than to read God's promises and believe them? You can't spend your time more profitably than doing this. You can't. Don't let the devil pull you into other activities thinking you need to be busy to be significant. Spend time meditating on his promises. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant wholeness whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you. 
because he commits himself to you. He leans on you. He hopes confidently in you. Can you see that there's nothing casual about biblical faith? It's not a wondering or wishing. It's a full commitment of the heart. It's an immovable stare and gaze at the one who made you. Anything less is not biblical faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is the substance of what we hope for, the evidence of what we do not see. Let's look at this. Are you ready? Your seatbelt is still on. Message. Put the message up there. I didn't write this. I didn't write it. People with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole. Life is not about the amount of information you can fit in your brain. Man will applaud you for the more information you have in your brain. Jeremiah 9, 24, I think, says this. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. But let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me. That's what our brain is for, to know him. But you've got to be committed to this because there are more things than I could ever count with the internet today and all of the channels available, more things that will compete for your attention to get you away from the wholeness God's provided for you I remember reading about Smith Wigglesworth, who was an English evangelist that ministered healing around the world, and he decided to stop reading the newspaper. He said, why, would I, why do I want to spend time putting that into my mind to be quote-unquote informed when God has so much to do and say to me each day? See, you only have 24 hours in a day. And when you begin following him, you realize that's not a lot of time. So you've got to become an excellent steward of your seconds. And you've got to spend them wisely. And I'm just going to tell you, sitting in front of CNN is not a wise use of your time. CNN didn't make you, and CNN doesn't know the purpose and destiny for your life. Spending your time in his presence and meditating on his promises will will produce things in your life that no one else could produce. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 20, we're just reading the Bible. I love this. Are you ready? My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. It's that steady absorbing gaze again. You'll see it throughout the scriptures. It's called faith. It's a steady absorbing gaze on Jesus. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them. Keep them. Who determines what's in our hearts? We do. Who determines what's in our minds? We do. You are the keeper of your mind and the keeper of your heart. Don't let man's ideas dominate your thinking. Don't let what's going on in the world have the right of way in your mind. Keep God's word in your heart, in your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22, are you ready? Come on, look at this. What's God's words are life to everybody. Nope. No. No. Doesn't say everybody. That's God's will that everyone would receive them, but God's words are life to those who've chosen to fix their attention on them. 
to those who have given God this steady, absorbing gaze, to those who find them and what? Health to all their body. What does that Hebrew word mean, health? It means the cure, the remedy, the medicine. You will not find a stronger medicine than this. Anything else pales in comparison to the limitless power of the Word of God. It is life to those who will give it a steady, absorbing gaze, and it is health to all their whole body. Watch over it with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're out of time. But we're going to get in more so to the how-to next week. How to receive healing in your physical body. And then how to keep it. Because you can receive it and lose it. You've got to keep it. Okay? We don't have time to go there today. But we will next week. Father, thank you for this time together. Your word is life to those who find it, and health to our whole body. You've given us the cure to every sickness and every disease, and it's faith in your word. Wow. Lord, we purpose to fix our gaze on you, to budget our time with your wisdom, and to fill our hearts and minds with your promises that you would be glorified in our lives, that who you are would flow through us. Be glorified, God. You are God, and we give you the throne of our heart. We give you the throne of our mind. We give you the TV remote. We give you our subscriptions and net. We give you it all. Lord, we give you the reins, the, the steering wheel of our lives. We want you more than anything this world has to offer. And we give you our attention 24-7. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good he is.